We are starting a four-week series that we're simply calling Miracles. Um, and over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at a number of different miracle stories of Jesus in uh, the New Testament. Hey, qu quickly approaching is Christmas. And we think, man, what a great time of year to take some time to talk about Jesus. And some of you might be like, wait, what? Did you guys just take eight weeks to do a series in Revelation called Revelation in Red in which you talked about the words of Jesus to the seven churches? All right, busted. You got us. We just love to talk about Jesus and any excuse we can possibly find we are going to take. And here we have one um, again. I don't know what you believe about miracles, whether you believe that they are real or whether you believe they're fantasy and fairy tale make-believe, um, whether you believe that they happened uh, a time long, long, long ago, but they happen no longer, not in our day, whether you believe, well, they happen in other parts of the world, but not in our area of the world, or maybe uh, you believe that they happen to other people, that super elite spiritual category of people, but they don't happen to people like me. I don't know what you believe about miracles, but I want to say coming out of the gates that we believe in miracles. We believe that Jesus is still firmly in the business of reversing the seemingly irreversible. Jesus is still in the business of removing the seemingly immovable obstacles in our worlds. We believe Jesus doesn't only still perform miracles, but he loves to do the naturally impossible in our bodies, in our health. He loves to do the naturally impossible in our relationships. He loves to do the naturally impossible in our environment. He loves to do the naturally impossible in our politics. He loves to do the naturally impossible in our world. But this series is not necessarily designed to guarantee that Jesus is going to do a miracle for you. He's going to do a certain kind of miracle for you. I can't guarantee that, and I don't think any preacher on television can guarantee that. Jesus is Jesus, and Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. But what we want to do in this series is at least take a little bit of a step into believing more that Jesus still can and loves to do the miraculous, not just for other people in other parts of the world, but for us, not just in an era long ago, but in our era today. But more than that, this series is designed to ask the question, what does it look like for us to be positioned for the miraculous? What does it look like for us to be miracle ready? So that if Jesus decides to do what Jesus loves to do, we are in the designated place and in the designated position best suited for the miraculous. What does it look like to be miracle ready? And so we're going to look at a number of stories. And in those stories, we want to ask the question, what made this occasion, what made this situation ripe for the miraculous? And can we learn what that means for us? Um, 
If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to get one into your hands. In fact, you can head to the Connection Corner, which is right outside those back doors, and just ask for a copy of the Bible. We will give one to you as our early Christmas gift with a smile on our face. would love for you to have um, a, a physical copy. And, um, but if you don't have one right now, no worries. As you can see, the verses will um, magically appear up on the screen. Um, Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 46, and we'll just pause and make um, some observations as we get acquainted with this miracle story. It starts by saying this, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Okay, so Mark starts this, uh, this narrative by dropping a geographical pin on the location of the miracle because apparently Mark thought where this happened um, mattered. So Jesus is leaving the city of Jericho, which, by the way, would have caused the first century readers to say something like, oh... And if this were a TV episode in the Jesus series, the music would turn for the dramatic because the first century readers would have understood, ooh, Jesus is leaving Jericho. That means he is taking his final journey on earth. Jesus was leaving Jericho to head into his darkest hour in Jerusalem where he would crush our sin and where he would win our healing. They would have understood this is Jesus making his final trip towards his death on the cross for the sake of our sins. Um, For thousands and thousands of Jews... Um, Jericho was the spot where they would cross the Jordan River and begin their final leg of the journey towards Jerusalem for their annual pilgrimage. Jews would take this annual trip to Jerusalem and you'd have to go through Jericho for many of them to, to get there, to worship God at the temple. So this large crowd was likely a mixture of some Jesus fans and Jews just taking their trip, their customary annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So when Mark introduces this blind beggar whose name is Bartimaeus, it would have made sense. Um, this man who had no sight, and in that cultural context, he would have had no option if he had any hope of surviving other than begging at the mercy of total strangers for a little change by which he would live. But if you're going to beg on the streets, can you think of a better post than outside Jericho, right, where a bunch of Guilty-feeling church folk uh, are heading up to Jerusalem to go and try and get right with God. 
Guilty feeling church folk can tend to be a little on the generous side. So I think he's hoping for that and is camping out right outside this city for a little cha-ching situation. And so with those geographical details, the, the stage is set outside of Jericho. Jesus is starting his fateful trip towards Jerusalem. His disciples and the crowds are in tow when Jesus' path intersects with the post of a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, a vulnerable, broken guy, who in that cultural context, by the way, would have been considered an expendable extra. He would have been considered dispensable. He can't do anything for us. He doesn't add any value to the society. We can take him. We can leave him. He's just kind of like a whatever on the side of the road. If we're in a giving mood, we might chuck some change in his direction, which to him would be a means of survival. But really, why do these people even exist? truth of the matter is we think that he's kind of cursed by God because of something awful he did or something awful his parents did. And so God has bestowed on him blindness. What, what a waste of space. He would have been this dispensable, expendable extra in the stories of the lives of passers-by in that cultural context. Nothing going for him and nothing he could do about it. Verse 47, when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, this guy uh, spent a lot of time in this spot, and so he had heard commotion on a regular basis outside of Jericho. It was a buzz spot, but the buzz was next level palpable in the air. And so naturally, he asks around, and somebody tells him, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Bartimaeus goes full buddy the elf mode. Jesus! Jesus! I need him. I need him, right? He loses his mind. Notice Mark uses a comma and not a period. This helpless dude did not waste a second. It says he heard it was Jesus, comma, he started to shout at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, mercy, mercy, mercy. And you know he had to have been yelling super loud, if nothing else, because he was blind. And when you can't see whether the person you're yelling at can hear you, you have to make sure. And so he's yelling over and over and over again is the language in this story. This boy can't see, but this boy can sure shout, Jesus, son of David, mercy, mercy, mercy. Which, by the way, is just a fancy way of saying, help me. Help me. And I think in that obnoxious display, Bartimaeus teaches us the first key in being miracle ready. Helplessness. Helplessness. 
Oh, this is, this is so powerful because you don't cry mercy like this unless you know you're completely helpless. The prelude to this miracle is a helpless man shamelessly crying for help. And that is my problem right there. See, because if you ask me, I'll tell you, I want to be caught up in a miracle. I want to be caught up in a miraculous story. But I just don't ever want to feel completely helpless in any area of my life. Give me a miracle, yes please, but hold the helplessness if you don't mind. I want that encounter with Jesus. I just never want to ever in any area of my life have to be sitting on the side of the road like some extra crying for help. No, thank you. I want him to help. I just don't want to be helpless. I live in America. It's my job to have options. It's my job to make sure I always have one more option in my back pocket. I am helpless averse. The problem is, my options are often the obstacle to the miracle. Because if I feel like I have an option, I will never lose my mind and cry like a fool, Jesus! Mercy. Never. No, Jesus will become just another option. If he comes through, nice. If he doesn't, nah, we'll move on to the next option. Might I suggest uh, a reason the miracle story doesn't even start in many of our lives is because we've refused to sit and feel our helplessness. And if we feel our helplessness, we've refused to admit it, let alone to shout help. And the irony of it is we will sit around and we'll read stories of Jesus doing the miraculous and we'll say he seems to do the miraculous in the developing world. I heard he's doing the miraculous in Africa and I heard he's doing the miraculous in Haiti. Yet these are people who experience and are willing to embrace and admit helplessness. We're like, well, can, can they just keep their helplessness and ship the miracles over here? Not the way it works. But if you're not helpless, can we be honest? You don't need a miracle. What do you need a miracle for? Now it just becomes performed for us, Jesus. And miracles become a form of entertainment. Jesus is not about to entertain a greedy culture with performing the miraculous. He refused to do it in this day. But if you don't feel your helplessness, if you're not helpless, I'm just saying you're not ready for a miracle. You don't need a miracle. And I'm just wondering, though, if there just might be someone at church this morning who knows there's an area in your life where you are helpless and you just can't. You are out of 
options. And so you're going to do the only thing left to do, sit down and start shouting, Jesus, help. Because I can continue to write notes, but I know I cannot get her to forgive me. Jesus, help. Because I know that I can go a few days. I can go a few days, Jesus. But then I know eventually the craving and the impulses are going to get the better of me. And I'm going to be dragged back into that place of, of giving in. I just can't, Jesus. I've tried, Jesus. Help. I can manage the symptoms. I can, I can even d- deal with the pain a little bit, but I can't do anything to get in my body and change the condition that's producing these symptoms and causing this pain. I can't, Jesus, help. I have no other options, Jesus, help. There may just be somebody who is aware of a place in your life where helplessness is your reality and you are willing to admit it and let go of the other options and cry. Help. Do you have one of those places of helplessness? Bartimaeus is so obnoxiously loud that the religious crowd starts to shush him. Because, man, people with options are super snooty sometimes. And they'll never understand your desperation. And they'll judge your helplessness. Look, uh, verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. (laughs) But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I love this guy so much. My son Judah's about to get a name upgrade, man. We made Bartimaeus him, Bartimaeus Simfukwe. I love this guy quite a bit. This is awesome. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. If you thought he was loud before, he got even louder. I love this. He's like, oh, I'm sorry if my desperation makes you uncomfortable. Just kidding. Jesus! (laughs) He gets even louder. Stop it. Jesus! Stop. G! Stop. This is the best. I don't know how you read the Bible, but man, my Bible is awesome. And they're shushing him like, he's an important teacher. He has no time for expendable extras on the side of the road. Stop talking. He doesn't care about you. In fact, his God is the one who probably cursed you. He doesn't care. And they just shush Bartimaeus. But the more they talk, the louder he gets. Help me, Jesus. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And in that display, I think we learn a second key to being miracle ready. Stubbornness. Some of you are like, my kids are all miracle ready right now. (laughs) Jesus, work in them. But is this good or what? See, because I want to be caught up in a miracle story. Just ask me. I'll tell you. Um, I want to be caught up in a miracle story. I just want people to think I'm really heroic and dignified. It's amazing 
um, how oftentimes the obstacle to the miracle in us is not our options. It's not our many options. It's their many opinions. It's what everyone else thinks. It's the noise and all the people with thoughts about what's acceptable and what isn't and what I should and shouldn't do. More than that, it's people with opinions about what Jesus likes and doesn't like and what Jesus may or may not do. And on and on we go. And the worst are the church folk. That's not how you cry out to Jesus. That's too loud. Be a little more dignified. That's not pretty enough. Those aren't the right words. We took a class. And if you're going to shout to Jesus, well, it starts, here's the acronym. Um, it's called ridiculous, you know, and we'll do this kind of thing. Oh, that's not the right theology. Shh. We don't go to church enough, so just stop. He doesn't care about you. He knows how you voted, and so he's just not on your side. I'm sorry. You're an extra in the story. Oh, Jesus doesn't do that anymore. I'm sorry. He used to do that, but he stopped in AD. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. But we do this. We say stuff like this. And we shush people on a regular basis. Um, one of our favorites is, he's not going to do that for you because you got yourself in this mess. Child, Jesus helps those who help themselves. You ruined your marriage, and you think he's going to come in, and all of a sudden, miraculously restore it. Shh, just stop. You better get you an option because your begging makes us super uncomfortable, by the way. That's why we sit on the other side in church, because we sat next to you one time, and you were all kinds of indignified up in there. And it made us uncomfortable. So stop with all of this. Like, Jesus, help me. Arms in the air like a child. And for many of us, the noise has gotten to us. I want Jesus to help me. I just need everyone's permission. I want Jesus to move. I just also want the crowd to think my cry is super cute. Jesus, if you will, you know, um, we want the miracle. I just want the church folk to think I deserve it. So I'm going to serve a while and impress as many people as I possibly can. And so you know what we do? We start to say things like this, like, okay, maybe next time the spirit prompts. Maybe, maybe next time, maybe, maybe, ooh, I know, maybe I will wait for a week when I know that, that it's a fewer, few, it's a smaller group of people at church. Then that week, I'll go up front for prayer because that's what the Spirit is calling me to do. But not today, child, because the people might see me and you know their opinions matter and they won't think it's super cute if I do that. So I'm going to, I'm just going to wait. Hey, my name is Bartimaeus and the people are asking me to stop shouting to Jesus. So maybe I'll wait for the next time Jesus leaves Jericho to go to Jerusalem, but he's never coming through again. And Bartimaeus is stubborn in his faith. He's like, mm-mm. And he yells all the more. And sometimes I wonder if heaven isn't just a tad amused 
with us. Just like, y'all are just too cute to get a miracle, aren't you? It just matters too much to you what everyone else thinks. But I wonder if there isn't someone at church this morning who's at a place of helplessness that has you ready to raise a stubborn shout. I need Jesus, and I don't care what y'all think of it. You can't heal me. Why do I care what you think? You can't fix my brokenness. You can't break these chains. You can't restore my family. You can't bring my kids. Why on earth do I care what you think? Why on earth am I listening to what you say about the way I'm crying out to Jesus out of this place of helplessness? So excuse me if my desperation makes you uncomfortable. Excuse me because I'm about to raise my hands and shout like a fool in his presence. If you don't like it, you can sit on the other side of the church service because I came with a stubborn helplessness. And I need Jesus more than I care about your opinion. Be honest. Some of you have not experienced Jesus in ways because it still matters too much. How you sing and what people think. Stubbornness. And you notice, by the way, all of this happens before Jesus even steps onto the scene. But then he does. Verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. <laughs> I wonder how reluctant they would have been. Uh, cheer up. On your feet, apparently he's calling you, right? Cheer up, they say. He is calling you. By the way, it is amazing the things Jesus will say when you let him speak for himself. It's amazing what you might discover about Jesus if you stop letting other people represent him or interpret him for you. This is amazing. There is an entire religious crowd of thousands and all of them are wrong about Jesus. The Bible says Jesus pumps the brakes and stops and you can imagine the entire crowd is shocked. We never thought you would do something like that. We never thought you would stop for somebody who struggles with that thing or somebody who belongs to that category or someone who has that label or someone who we consider extra in our story or someone who we think is cursed by you. We never thought the entire church is going to be shocked by Jesus more often than we can imagine. If you let him speak for himself, Jesus Stopped, And by the way, I'm so glad he stops for people even when no one else is willing to vouch for them because that's, that's me. So Bartimaeus shouted and Jesus stopped. And we don't even have time to talk about where Jesus was going, but you all are an astute group. You know where Jesus was going. He was on his way to Jerusalem to face his darkest hour, to face his death. And I'm just saying, if my favorite team loses, I don't have time for your nonsense. Jesus was on his way to Die. If there was ever a time out of in Jesus, we understand that you have no time for this person. And yet on his way to his darkest hour, it says Jesus stopped. I love Jesus and his graciousness in that way. But I think we see another key to miracle readiness. It's, it's what I would call awareness. Awareness. 
Um, Jesus doesn't stop because Bartimaeus is loud. Um, volume is not a spiritual virtue. Jesus stopped because of Bartimaeus's recognition of who he was. You want to see Jesus stop. Tell him how aware you are of who he really is. And we know that was true about Bartimaeus because of the way Mark tells um, the story. I don't know if you noticed this, um, but when Bartimaeus asks about this next level buzz in the air, someone tells him, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth. So naturally, Bartimaeus starts to shout, Jesus, son of David. No, no, no. We said Jesus of Nazareth. That's great. Jesus, son of David, he says. This is really fascinating. And the moment he does that, Jesus is like, I heard that. This, by the way, is the only place in the gospel account of Mark that the title, Son of David, is used of Jesus. It's a term that accents Jesus as God's promised Messiah. The great warrior who would rescue his people. The great warrior who would reign on an everlasting throne. The Messiah. So people tell Bartimaeus, hey, it's, it's Jesus from Nazareth. And Bartimaeus starts to shout out to Jesus from heaven. I know who you are. I am aware of who you are. See, because the crowd thinks of him as, as Jesus, he's like a, he's a, he's a, he's a teacher, he's a, he's a pretty good teacher, he even performs some, some, some cool miracles, but Bartimaeus says, no, I know who you are, you are the one we've been waiting for, you are our Christmas, you are our deliverer, you are God's promised one who will come and you will crush our enemies, you will come and you will heal our diseases, I know who you are. Son of David. And Jesus says, hold the phone. I heard that. And he stops. Tell him to come here. Because in this twist of irony, the blind guy sees me most clearly. He knows who I am. This is so key, because if you, if you think Jesus is just some cool guy who does some cool things, your cry to him is not going to ring through the noise in the way that stirs him to stop. And for many of us, it's, it's not the obstacle of the options we have or the opinions of others that keep us out of the miracle stories, it's the obstacle of an ordinary Jesus. Jesus has just become kind of like he's ordinary. 
um, to us. We've lost our sense of awe um, that comes from a true awareness of who he really is. But if Jesus is from Nazareth, if his cute little baby Jesus in a manger, he can't do much for you. But if he's Jesus from heaven, it means everything on earth must do what he says. And if he speaks to your impossibility, it must bow. If he speaks to that obstacle, it must move. If he really is who this book says he is, then he's more than just a dude walking through. He's more than just the guy we come to and and we talk about on occasion. He is the one who comes from heaven to break our chains. He's the one who comes from heaven to forgive our sin. He's the one who comes from heaven to heal our diseases. And Bartimaeus is aware of who he really is. Come on, our problem is Jesus has become way too ordinary for us. And you know that, if nothing else, just because of the way you sing to him sometimes. Come on, do you sing to him like you really know who he is? Like he really is Jesus from heaven who can crush your enemies and do the impossible? Or is he just like, "Mm, I don't like this song, so... Um, no, come on. Most of us are like, he's all right. How was Jesus at church today? I was all right. I mean, nothing like one o'clock football. Don't get me wrong. I will get ramped up for that because I'm aware of what my quarterback stats are. But Jesus is all right. That's fine. But can I just say, let's stop whining that we don't experience the miraculous. How's an ordinary Jesus going to do the extraordinary in your life? He's not. He's too ordinary for many of us. But I wonder if for some of us, the spirit isn't stirring in us in awe. I wonder even if if for some of you, you were surprised by what the spirit did as you were singing. And you're like, I didn't expect all of this. But I see Jesus for who he is today. And, you know, I, I see him in a way that I don't care what anybody else has to say about him. He is Jesus from heaven. And I love that Bartimaeus is aware of who he is. And that awareness is what I believe Jesus responds to in stopping. Verse 51. Uh, Verse 50, sorry. Throwing his cloak aside, he, Bartimaeus, jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then it's just funny stuff. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. This is so good. This is funny. Like if you think the Bible's not funny and there's no humor, this is funny. What do you want? Um, I'm sorry. Is that, is that a trick question? What do you mean? What do I want? I want to see. Why does Jesus even ask a question like this? I think to let us in on another key to being miracle ready. It's a key that I'm calling singleness. Easy, easy, 
Not that kind of signalness. Relax. Let's not stage a walkout. Um, but here's the thing. We are too deep into the Nesses um, to stop now, you know. So, right? Stubbornness and um, now singleness. Um, but the word really means having only one of something. Having only one of something. Um, see, I think, I'm not, I'm not judging you. Okay, I'm low-key judging you. Um, but I think, like, most of us, I would venture to say, would absolutely freeze up if Jesus asked us the same question. Oh, I've heard you. Hey, Jesus, move in our midst. Hey, Jesus, come, Jesus, and show up in our midst. And let's just say for a second, he does. Hey, what do you want me to do for you? Um, never actually got this far before, Jesus. I was not ready for this. So, uh, world peace? I don't know. You would freeze up. You would freeze up. And I'm telling you, for many of us, the obstacle to the miracle is not the options. It's, it's not, you know, um, the idea of, hey, you know, Jesus has become ordinary for us. It's just the obscurity of our request. We really haven't thought about it. We, we really don't know. Why would Jesus ask this question? Jesus wants Bartimaeus to tell him what it is that he wants Jesus to do. Because Jesus loves singularity in our requests not scattered in alternatives, and maybe this, and maybe that. So he makes Bartimaeus say it to him. Do you even know what you want Jesus to do for you? You want to see a miracle? What miracle? Which one? Oh, uh, heal me. Um, Jesus. Okay, okay. Or, 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 Jesus, you can help me with my, help me with my, uh, my, my medical bills. Oh, okay, okay, or, or here's a good one, here's a good one. Or um, uh, help the, um, the medical person. Now, I don't know, Jesus. You know what? Your will be done. Dealer's choice. And Jesus is like, I know my will. In fact, I know what you want, but I want you to tell me what is it that you want me to do. Say it to me. Well, I, I want him to come back home. Okay, I want him to... Okay, at least pay child support. Or maybe he could just break out in a severe case of back acne. I don't know, Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what I want. Some of us don't know. Our requests are obscure. This guy was ready. I want to see. And I'm just saying it to you. If you want to be miracle ready, do you know the one thing that you would ask Jesus to move? Do you know the impossible obstacle that you're hoping that he might show up and remove? And for many of us, I've not thought that far because he's all right. So, I mean, what are the chances really? So I just say, Jesus, help in the event 
that maybe one day he will. But will he really? I don't know. But there's a readiness about this. And I think for me, even in the last year, there have been things that have stirred in me. But I realize, even as I process this, like, you know what? If something doesn't jump out as the one thing, I don't need a miracle. It might be nice. But if I'm not ready with that single request, maybe I don't need one. Are you even ready if he shows up today? Because he might. And then the thing he had been waiting for, verse 52. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Go, Jesus said, your faith. What faith? Your awareness of me that made you willing to stubbornly bring your helplessness and make this unwavering request. That faith. It's made you well. And I love, by the way, how Mark goes out of his way uh, to just communicate how effortless this miracle was for Jesus to perform, as all miracles are for him to perform. There's no fanfare, no theatrics, there's no countdown, there's no unveiling, Jesus doesn't wave his hands, there's no abracadabra, nothing of the sort, just the words. Okay, you want to see? Then see. And immediately, after years and years and years of blindness, the word of Jesus, he's not ordinary, by the way. The words of Jesus remove the impossible obstacle, and this dude sees, and the first thing he sees is the son of David standing in front of him. That had to have been a certifiable trip, if you ask me. That's the miracle. But then... The story gets really good right at the end. Bartimaeus is so generous. He gives us a departing key to being miracle ready. And I would suggest it's actually the most important key. Jesus. All right, let's be consistent. Jesusness. Somebody stop me. Um, this is so awesome. I don't know if you saw it, but if you missed it, you've got to see it. Because Jesus tells Bartimaeus, hey, go! You got what you wanted. And Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus turns Jesus down. And all the hip people in the room are asking the obvious question. Turn down for what? I'll tell you. I know. We're getting close to the end. So hang in there. Um, right? Because you read the story and I'm like, I'm sorry. Which part of go did you not understand? And Bartimaeus is like, uh, the part of go where I have to go anywhere except where you are going, Jesus. This is so powerful. It's like Bartimaeus is saying to Jesus, hey, you asked me, 
what I wanted you to do for me. And so I told you. What you did not ask me was what I wanted most. Because what I actually want most is you. What I actually want most is you. Jesus, you are the miracle I want the most. I appreciate what you can do for me, but more than what you can do for me, I want the you who can do all things. This is a powerful end to the story. Jesus, you are the miracle I want the most. And in case you missed it, Jesus, you may have noticed that when I got up, I left my cloak behind. I threw off my cloak. Bartimaeus' cloak, by the way, would have been his most prized possession, the most expensive thing he owned. This is what kept him warm at night. This was his home. This was how he collected money. This was how he made a living. This was how he survived. And the moment Jesus called him, he threw that thing off as if to say, I'm not going to be needing this anymore. I'm not about that life any longer. I I have no intention of going back. I'm coming after you. He throws off his cloak. He's saying, it's you I want. And another thing you might notice or you might miss, he uses this term that NIV translates it rabbi, but it, it's a stronger type term for that title. He uses the word rabuni when he addresses Jesus. That's a good word. The word means my Master, before Jesus gives Bartimaeus the miracle, Bartimaeus calls Jesus his master. I am yours, but I haven't given you anything yet. Yeah, yeah, it's not ultimately about what you give me. It's about you. And thank you so much for this sight. Now I can follow you better. Thank you so much for my vision. I appreciate this apple slice, but it's you, the orchard, that I want. Thank you so much for this grape, but you are the vine. I'm coming after you. You know one of the reasons Mark does the very rare thing of naming this blind guy? His name was Bartimaeus. Which Bartimaeus? You know, the son of Timaeus. Do you know why? Because Bartimaeus followed Jesus and became part of the early church. So when he named him, everyone would have said, Ah, Bartimaeus, he led me to Jesus just last week. He followed Jesus with his life. Team, by the way, you guys can come on out. For many of us, the obstacle to our miracle is that we want the miracle more than the miracle giver. And I'm telling you, the people who are most positioned for the miraculous are those who find Jesus to be all the miracle that they need. And if I don't get my sight, will you be my vision? And if I don't get the stuff, will you be my provision? And if she doesn't come back home, will you be my love? And if I don't, I don't, I don't, will you still be who you are? Something powerful happens when that shift happens and we say, Master, you are my master. It's your prerogative if you heal me or if you don't. But it's you that I want. And Jesus is like, hmm, your faith. You can have whatever you want. 
because I trust what you want and what you want more than anything is me. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what the Spirit is whispering. For some of us, we are aware of a helplessness in us. And maybe the Spirit is stirring. It's time. It's time for you to ask Jesus to do the impossible thing that no one else can do. It's time to cry out with a stubborn faith that says, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm not going to wait. I'm not a, you can't fix it. So I'm coming straight to Jesus and saying, have mercy. Do the impossible that only you can do. In fact, can we have elders who are in the room and available and small group leaders, if you guys can start heading to your post, maybe some of you can come up front and some of you can go to the middle point in the room. In case somebody is stirred and wants to come and, and publicly agree with you about an area where they need healing or an area they need restoration in a relationship. I don't know what it is that you need, but maybe the spirit is stirring. It's time. Are you willing to shout, Jesus have mercy? Are you aware of who he really is and that he can do that with simply speaking a word? But maybe for some of you, it's like as I sat here, the Spirit made very clear to me, I want a lot of things more than Jesus. I want what Jesus can do for me, but I've lost all sight of just a love for him and a desire to follow after him. And so, Spirit, would you open my eyes for a fresh awareness of Jesus that says he is all the miracle I need. I don't know where you're at, but as we sing this next song, I'd invite you to stand or kneel or you can stay seated, or you can head out to one of our uh, prayer team members and just have somebody agree with you. Or maybe you're with some people you know and you want to huddle around and agree and pray where you are. But what I'd encourage you to do is don't say that thing where it's like, oh, maybe next time when it's a little less awkward. Make the most of the moment. So why don't we sing together and respond as you need to. And then if you need a card, by the way, grab one of those on your way out. But let's sit in this moment right now.